Our gospel reading today is from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had, all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father, and while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because we got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but his, he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He has lost and has he was lost and has been found. The word of God for the people of God. It's good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Josh Britton. I'm a pastor in the conference, and I currently serve at Mount Shepherd Retreat Center, uh, which is a Methodist camp just 30 minutes away. Uh, my wife Erin's here with me, and our, our kids Oren and Ada are here. And I just want to say thank you for having us. Uh, thank you to Pastor Mark, and thank you to this church. Y'all been so gracious already. Uh, we feel welcome, and it's a blessing to be with you. Um, I can tell this is a great church, uh, so many kids, offerings for the children, and uh, so many great folks here, and good music, so um, consider yourselves blessed. This is a good place to be. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about Mount Shepherd, and I'm sorry I'm deviating off the, the scripture text, this great story we just read. We'll come back to that in just a second. Um, but Mount Shepherd is a 543-acre facility. Um, we have the tallest mountain in Randolph County, and from our mountain you can see Greensboro, and I presume Pleasant Garden, uh, or you can at least see somewhere in between here and there. And uh, we have programs that go on during the summer. We do a summer camp, but we also have programs throughout the year where we do uh, retreats for churches and youth groups and children's programs and also businesses. Um, so 
Uh, Mark asked me to share just a little bit about what we do, and, and I'll share more in my sermon, but I wanted to, to introduce myself and introduce um, our ministry to you all. And I would ask if you uh, are ever in the area, please feel free to stop by and um, come fishing in our lake or take a hike. Um, and at the very least, ask that you would be in prayer for us and the, the powerful work we're doing. Um, so before the, the sermon, will you join me in a prayer? Almighty God, we give you thanks for this story that Jesus taught us, the story of a father's amazing love. In this story, we hear about a man who uh, was far off from home but came to his senses. We pray that uh, through hearing your word and being in your presence that we would come to our senses, that you would uh, show us where we have stumbled and where we have strayed. And Lord, that you wouldn't just leave us there, but you would bring us home. We pray for your grace to be at work in us and through us. We pray, Lord, that uh, you will speak through me and, and beyond me and in spite of me if you have to. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today, our daughter is eight months old, and just this week, Aaron and I were saying the thing that so many uh, young parents and parents of infants say to each other. We said, thank God she's not going to remember this. Uh, how many of you all have said that? I, I consider it God's grace that for the first two years, uh, kids won't remember all the, the dumb things we said or did or didn't do. Uh, we said the same thing when our son was young. However, um, I did learn some troubling news recently, and that's that even though our children don't remember uh, the first two years of their lives, that this time period is just critically important for the development of their brains. Before children are born, they, they are already equipped with a survival system. They know how to breathe. They know how to instinctively hold their breath if they need to or grip a surface if they need to. And, and God has already prepared so much of our brain. Uh, but during these first precious years of life, so much development goes on. And, and even now, our daughter is developing an emotional response system. She's learning whether she can trust people or if she can't. She's learning that when she smiles at us, we smile back. She's learning that if she cries, somebody's going to be coming with a bottle. Somebody's going to be coming with a dry diaper. Somebody will be there for her. And even though she won't remember any of this, she is permanently being shaped right now. And as a parent, that's both an amazing thought and a tremendously scary thought. We have this power to shape and form a human being. She could grow up to be a young woman full of love and self-confidence and self-esteem, or we could really screw her up. It's scary. Anyway, having children and, and being a pastor and now being a camp director, uh, I've learned so much about uh, what it means to be a human being. Being a parent, um, I had all these fears coming into it about what it would entail and what I needed to do, but really... When you boil it down, it's pretty simple. All any of us need is to be safe, to have your physical needs tended to, and to be loved. And that's about it. Being a camp director, I've learned the exact same lesson. You just need to make sure kids feel safe and kids feel loved. A couple of years ago, I got to go to a conference with a bunch of police officers and firefighters. And uh, I was there in a clergy role, and we were all discussing how to care for folks who've been through traumatic and tragic situations. And the one refrain we kept hearing in, in these situations over and over and over again is that people will always be in a response mode, and you need to assure them that they are safe. 
Because our bodies are equipped with a survival response system. Fight or flight, they call it. That's what we, what we learned about in school. And uh, this is a, a beautiful gift. God has given us everything we need to survive. So if danger is near, we know how to run away or stand up and fight it. And the same is true in a, a situation where there might be a fire, where there might be gunshots, where there might be violence. We are equipped to know when to run and when to fight. But in this class and, and in other classes, they shared with us that there's a problem. We have this response system, but sometimes it gets hijacked. And the, the thing is, like most of us never run into anything our ancestors ran into. Like most of us have never had to run from a wolf or a bear or a lion. Um, so most of the time, this critical response, this uh, stress response just gets wasted. Like we stress out about things we don't really need to stress out about. Like, for instance, last night I was watching the Atlanta Braves and they had a three to nothing lead in the ninth inning and then they blew that and lost it. And I was so stressed out I couldn't sleep. Uh, all this stress, this, this emo emotional response that God's equipped us to keep us safe and thriving uh, was misused. And there's this, this great irony that these things that are meant to keep us safe can sometimes hurt us. Like we are equipped to run when we need to and this, this response of running is sometimes good but most of the time it hurts us. Sometimes we need to stay put. Sometimes we need to be with our families. This prodigal son is a case in point. But our emotional response is to run. Some of us have run away from home. Other of us find other ways to withdraw with substances or stuff or distractions or screens. We find ways to run away. And this irony is we're trying to protect ourselves we're trying to keep ourselves from being hurt, but it's these very defenses that hurt us even more. We're so broken that we'd rather run away from the people that love us the most, and in protecting ourselves, we cause more harm. Working at a kid's camp, we see a full array of children where this lesson is tragically true. Um, this summer, we made an intentional effort to reach out to a lot of children who... Um, came from at-risk homes um, through partnerships with churches and the local Department of Social Services. We got a lot of children in who, in their household, they had to be adults, for lack of a better way of putting it, because maybe their parents worked too much. Some of their parents worked through addictions. Some of their parents were just gone. And in their homes, these children were constantly in survival mode, constantly wondering where their next meal was going to come from, figuring out how to scrap together enough food or enough money to, to eat and to survive. They have to make all the decisions when they're at home, and oftentimes they're taking care of their siblings. So you can imagine somebody like that being put into a camp setting. Teachers know all about this. When a kid has to be an adult their whole lives, and then they're, they're forced back into being a kid, guess how well that works? It doesn't work very well. They don't listen to authority. They've been used to making their own decisions and following their own rules. They have a hard time. And, and the survival system that's meant to keep them safe actually endangers them, especially in a place like us where we have rules around what to do in and around the water, what to do on our ropes courses, places that have a lot of risk. If they don't listen, they are endangered. This survival system that's meant to protect them ends up causing more harm. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, Sometimes we have kids that come from emotionally abusive situations where they are used to being hurt, used to being put down and insulted or being neglected. 
These kids have come up with a defensiveness where they, they have a cold outer shell where they don't let anybody in because if they don't let anybody in, they don't get hurt. And so they are defensive and they don't know what to do when someone shows them kindness or affection or love. They try to protect themselves from the pain and hurt, but by doing so, they fail to receive love that's really there for them. Now, I don't think Jesus was a psychologist or a brain scientist, but he understood these realities. He understood how complicated our relationships could be. He understood that fathers and sons don't always see eye to eye, and more often than not, these relationships are strained. He knew that it was rare when people actually felt the safety and love that they craved. Most of the time, in fact, it's quite the opposite. We feel at risk, uneasy, unsafe, and unloved. And that's when our defense kicks in. It's fight or it's flight. Maybe this is part of our brokenness as people who uh, we understand that we are sinful and, and that we have been harmed by what we call the fall. And as human beings, we are incomplete. And maybe it's, it's this part of us that keeps us afraid and feeling unloved. Maybe it's something that happened to us before we were two years old. Or maybe it was something since then. But all of us on some level have a hard time trusting, have a hard time loving. Jesus didn't go into great detail about why the younger son left home. But we can infer, we can gather that maybe something was missing. He didn't feel truly at home at home, and he felt the need to run away. And so what he did was build a fortress around himself. He built a fortress with his wild living. He hid behind the partying. He hid behind his wealth until he had nothing left. And it's the same old story. He thought he was going to get freedom for himself, but really he just became a slave to the lifestyle. He thought he was going to go find true love, but all he found was people who didn't really care for him. Nobody offered him anything to eat, the story says. He thought he was making safety for himself, but at the end of the day, he was hungry and alone and exposed. He left the people who truly loved him to throw away his life for people who didn't care about him. He left the people who truly loved him to throw away his life with people who did not care for him. Can this be our story too? Is this true for us? We leave the ones who love us for temporary pleasures. We throw away the gifts that God has given us in one way or another. When we throw away this stuff, we end up at the bottom, starving and dying. The irony is we're trying to protect ourselves and defend ourselves and create safety for ourselves, but we just end up hurting ourselves worse. We dig a deeper hole. Instead of taking God's hand of help, we say, no thanks, God. I've got this. I can handle it on my own. We try to protect ourselves. We harm ourselves. And when we don't feel safe, we run. Now, I know I'm a stranger. Y'all have met me today for the very first time. You probably will never, ever talk to me or see me again. So I'm going to share a couple of things about myself, and I just feel completely safe doing so. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been working through a journey myself where um, I've realized that I feel sometimes unlovable. I feel unworthy and ashamed, and what I throw away is God's love. I've tried to, uh, tried to earn God's love. I've tried to earn my worth through achievement, through hard work, 
through trying hard, through getting good grades or achievements in life. And every time, I, I promise, the satisfaction I receive is only temporary. And I end up starving for more. I've tried to be perfect, and you can guess how that has gone. Each time I fail, and every time I fail, I feel unloved, and it's this cycle all over again. Feeling unworthy, trying harder and harder to achieve, and, and not even the best performance can offer, or the best performance I can do will, will help me feel that love that I'm seeking. So maybe that happened to me when I was an infant. Maybe it was an experience growing up. But somewhere along the way, I got this notion in my head that if I wasn't perfect, I wasn't lovable. If I wasn't a straight-A student, an all-star athlete, a popular kid at school, if I wasn't all of these things, then I didn't deserve to be loved by anyone, especially God. I didn't throw away my life with dissolute living, but I squandered my inheritance of love. I never desired to eat at pick slops, but I've slurped up the empty praise of people all along the way. I've sought that satisfaction of pleasing other people. I've left my father's great banquet. He's, God has given me this great banquet of love, and I, I've ignored that to nibble at the praise of the world. And every time the temporary love fades away, the cheap satisfaction of living for other people has kept me hungry. And I share that today to share a little bit about myself, but I also want to illustrate that being prodigal doesn't mean literally running away all the time. You don't have to have run away and wasted your life on prostitutes. You don't have to indulge in drugs to waste the life that God has given to us. For me, it hasn't been drugs, but I've sought love and safety in the frail ways of the world. You too might be feeling unloved and unsafe today. But maybe it has been a literal experience for you. Maybe you have run away from your family. Maybe you have squandered your inheritance in low living. Maybe you have gone prodigal. Wherever we find ourselves today, though, the, the news is the same. The good news is the same. This is the same good news we share at camp with every child who comes, whether they have never set foot in a church, whether the, their family has been turned off to church, or whether they come to church every single Sunday. And this good news is that God's love never leaves us. This story illustrates this. We call this story the prodigal son, but that's not what the story is about. The story is not about the man who went away. The story is about the father who never stopped seeking, who never stopped waiting, who never stopped loving his son. This is not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the loving father. He's the true hero of the story. And in the story, we learn what God is like. Uh, the son has practiced his speech. He, he's down on his knees. He's at his last leg, and he finally comes to his senses. And he says, if I just say these right words, if I tell my dad I'm sorry, if I tell him I'm not worthy, maybe he'll accept me in as a slave. But the father has other plans. The father has other ideas. When he says I'm not worthy, the father says that's not the right way of looking at it. Come in. We'll have a feast for you. Here's my ring. Here's my robe. Here are my sandals. Come home, child. God is running after us like that. If you want to leave, sure, he'll let you go, but he'll never stop waiting. He'll never stop looking out the window, waiting for you to come home. He'll never stop uh, holding on to you. God doesn't want to hold a grudge. God is big enough to handle whatever junk you have or whatever anger you're holding on to, and you're never, ever, ever too far away. You're never too far gone to come back home. You're never too bad or too sinful or too worthless. 
Wherever you are, you're not too far from God's love. And I'm about to do an illustration. I promise this is the end. Um, I don't know what time it is. My watch is broken, so we'll get out of here soon. Um, One way that we illustrate this at camp, or one of the most powerful ways, is on our high ropes course. How many of y'all have ever done a ropes course before? Yeah? I used to do ropes courses, and a lot of times we'd use this equipment. These are called lobster claws. You got two little claws here. These connect to your cables. And the point of lobster claws is you've got two, so you can connect them both to a cable, but when it's time to move to another cable, you take one off, you put it on a new cable, you take the second one off, put it on the new cable. But there's a risk with lobster claws, right? Sometimes people like me are sometimes uh, absent-minded or stressed out on the ropes course. And there is a possibility for you to take both the, the, the claws off of the cable, and you could be hanging up there without anything holding on to you, okay? So at our camp, we don't use these lobster claws. We use this. It's called Smart Snap. It's not really important how it works, but uh, basically what happens is uh, there's two gates. And to uh, transfer from one gate to the next gate, you have to lock in uh, to something else. I always tell everybody, just forget about uh, the procedure here. The truth of this is you're always connected to something. There are mechanisms on the course where you're connected to one cable, and you lock in and connect to something else before you disconnect. And unlike the lobster claws, there's no risk or no chance of you ever being disconnected. And this is the, the lesson we tell to our campers. We say, just like this, there is no way you can ever disconnect yourself from God's love. You might try, you might move along, you might get stuck. But you're not going to be coming off of this course. This is the story of God's love. This is the story of the prodigal son. Even when he was far off in a distant land, the son never lost a connection to his father. He came to his senses. He remembered. He knew that he could come back home. We can never, ever, ever disconnect ourselves. We can never lose that connection We are never too far gone or too far away. For me, these last couple of years have been an emotional journey for me to realize that. Being a pastor has made me ask some hard questions like, where is my hope really? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Am I doing these hospital visits and preaching these sermons so that people will pat me on the back and clap and celebrate me? Or am I doing this because I'm a child of God who's loved and wants to share this love? I've had to come to terms with the fact that I'm a people pleaser and I love it when people say nice things to me. But I've also had to learn that who I am is not the same thing as what people say about me. Who I am is not how people view me. The love of the world does not compare with the infinite, amazing love of God. It's been a hard lesson to learn that God loves me. I know it sounds so simple. It's the simplest message of all, but it's the hardest for us to learn. Because we are wired for defense. We are wired for survival. We rebel, we fight, we run away from God's love. We are the prodigal son. This is our story. But the truth is, God is the father who never stops searching. He never stops waiting. And he's ready for you to come home. Where you can be safe. Where you can feel loved. Love's been waiting for us the whole time. And nothing in this world can measure up to that love. Nothing can replace it. It's time to come home. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.